Hi guys, this is your host Trey and Jamie with the Dream Team Podcast. This is a podcast where we discuss everything about anesthesia and provide you with an easy way to earn continuing education credits. Thanks for listening today. So, so let's, let's get, get to it. it. All right. Well, today we have, would like to welcome Katie Staker, CRNA at Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. Thank you for joining us today, Katie. Happy to be here. We will be discussing a case report Katie has written about pulmonary hemorrhage during CT-guided percutaneous lung biopsy. This case was published in June 2017 in the AANA Journal. So, Katie, can you start us off with this case report? It was involving a young adult male with chronic granular... I'm sorry, you're going to have to help me with this. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Granulomatous disease. Yeah, so this patient was 22 years old. He had, I admittedly don't know when he was first diagnosed with this granulomatous disease, but had been in and out of his, in and out of treatment, non-compliant with his maintenance therapy. He was on voriconazole, amphotericin B. I know that he was just lost to follow up at times. So he came in initially with headache and fevers, they did a CNS workup with an MRI that showed no central nervous system involvement. He had had some right right upper lobe fungal lesion that was just kind of chronic and stable. But after about 12 days of not really getting answers, negative blood cultures, they decided to do a chest CT and found a new left lower lobe lesion. So he was coming to CT to get a biopsy of this new left lower lobe lesion so that they could get a differential for treatment, essentially. The granulomatous disease, it just kind of, it can be chronic bacterial or fungal infections of just different systems of the body and the incidence is somewhere around one to 200, 250,000. Okay. So how did you guys plan for this procedure? Was it anything out of the norm? induction? You know, admittedly, he was anemic with a hemoglobin, I believe, of around, you know, 7.9, 7.8, something like that. But, you know, he was otherwise stable, wasn't showing any sort of signs of sepsis. You know, he might dynamically was stable, was coming to us on room air. And in our minds, we were going to be doing this minimally invasive procedure, you know, on a, somebody who really didn't have any other involvement in the systems like renal function was good. He had had a history of renal issues, but at the time presenting to the OR, you know, his labs were essentially optimized for the procedure. So what kind of anesthetic did you guys go with? Well, he was going to be prone. So we had planned a general endotracheal tube anesthetic, obviously in the prone position. The challenge was that typically in CT, when you do some of these biopsies or procedures, the patient can be, you know, head first into the scanner with the airway away from you. But thankfully for us, in this case, his head was toward us that since they were biopsying the left lobe. Okay. Yeah. And another point to make that CT scanner at our hospital is far away from our and machine and, and everything and every, else. Yes, every, everything else. <laughs> it's field avoidance. Definite, yeah. Definitely away from all help, for sure. Okay. Well, can you go into what happened during the procedure? What sure. so, sparked this? Yeah, absolutely. So 
We induced him. It was uneventful. He was hypotensive afterward. You know, he got some fluid, some phenylephrine, and I believe a dose or two of ephedrine. We went ahead and prepped him, draped him, really no issues there. They identified the lesion easily. And even an uneventful obtaining the specimen itself was uneventful. It wasn't like they had to go in several times to try and get the biopsy or access it. It was pretty much a single pass of the needle, really no issues there. Once he obtained the specimen, I heard our interventionalist say, hey, I'm going to give some gel foam now. And then all of a sudden, we lost our end title completely. The patient was completely draped. So I flipped him to 100% FiO2, started bagging him, and was just bagging against a brick wall. I flipped the drape up to look at his airway to see if it had become kinked or, you know, the circuit somewhere was compromised and there was just blood completely filling up his endotracheal tube backing up into my circuit. So at that point in time, you know, we called for help. We got his bed into the room, put him back supine and started troubleshooting what was going on. Suctioned out his endotracheal tube, still weren't able to get any return of entitled CO2. We called for help at that time for from one of our cardiac anesthesiologists, actually. But because, like you said, our CT scanner here is so far away from the OR, Absolutely. it took what seemed like forever, but probably, you know, somewhere between three and five minutes for him to come down. He, We knew that the lesion was on the left side and that the bleeding was on the left, and we decided to go ahead and just advance the endotracheal tube into the right main stem, and thankfully we're able to ventilate the right lung, and we had return of end tidal CO2 at that time. So once we were able to get that back, we were all able to relax a little bit more. His vital signs were stable. You know, he wasn't necessarily about to crash on us. And then we were able to kind of go through what was going on and how we what, how we should proceed at that point in time. Okay, great. Well, yeah, that sounds... Oh, it was intense. A minimally I, invasive I procedure gone about right. as far gone south right. as it can go. I was a I was a baby CRNA also. I probably was about two or three years into my practice. And so, like I was saying, the biggest takeaway was you kind of go in with your guard down a little bit. Like, oh, we're just doing this biopsy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like they're, quote, unquote, going to lose any blood mm-hmm. and you know, this guy is otherwise stable, and then it becomes one of the most Absolutely. catastrophic events that you've had in your career. So, absolutely. So, what what did you guys? What was the? What did you guys end up doing? Sure. So to resolve this. So what we ended up doing was, when we knew that we could ventilate his right lung effectively, we decided with the advice of. You know, the anesthesiologist that does cardiac a lot of times, he sees this in the cath lab. You'll see this in the cath lab a lot during some of the PA rehab. So when they go into the cath lab, rehabilitate, you know, the right or left pulmonary artery, a lot of times, you know, they will compromise the integrity of the vessel and you'll see pulmonary hemorrhage in that setting. And so what they found effective is in the cath lab was they could isolate the lung that was correspondent with 
the pulmonary vessel that was being worked on at the time. So, for example, if they're doing a right PA rehab, you know, they can put in a bronchial blocker on the right side. And they know that if the vessel ruptures, they can inflate the blocker and ventilate the left lung. So he, through his experience with that, we were able to apply it to this scenario, isolate the right lung. And then he had said in the past, they were able to apply high levels of PEEP to these patients in the cath lab and sort of tamponade off the pulmonary bleeding. So that's what we did in this event. We decided, all right, we'll withdraw the endotracheal tube back to you know normal position above the carina, try some high PEEP, see if that tamponades things off. How much PEEP? About 10, PEEP of 10. And we'll go from there. So we did that, applied a PEEP of 10, and he was completely stable. We were able to ventilate both right and left lung. Ended up taking him back up to PICU, obviously intubated. They treated him there. I think he got extubated, if I recall, a week later, I should mm-hmm. say, but. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I guess this is because the show is never just an MRI. And right. Never just, just, yeah. a never just, just a CT. Just a CT. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, and going on that offsite anesthesia, you know, can be unpredictable and you're in a place far away with little resources, possible delayed assistance like you Mm -hmm. experienced. You know, it's pretty amazing that he was as stable as he was. There was no CPR, you know. It really was. I guess no rescue drugs were involved. You didn't have to do anything like that. So. Did you have to change out your circuit? Did you have an extra circuit available? I did not have to change out my circuit. What I did was I disconnected him. I suctioned him and was able to clear the blood effectively. Eventually, I think we switched to our transport circuit, you know, but it was really no issues with that. It wasn't a continuous hemorrhage. It was almost like a one-time kind of big bleed that we were able to clear, but then still weren't able to ventilate for a period of time. But it wasn't just like blood pouring out and pouring out. So, you know, you in your paper, you stated there's limit, limited data regarding the incidence of complications arising from CT-guided percutaneous lung biopsy. What are the complications that you found? Yeah, well, honestly, you know, the biggest, I think that this was, they advocate for this because the alternative is going to be a thoracotomy. If they want to obtain a biopsy, you know, they will have to do an actual thoracotomy, which has its own inherent issues bleeding, hitting a vessel, you know, a pleural leak. And it's obviously just the incision alone and patient recovery from a thoracotomy. It's much more complex than just a single pass of a needle. So they advocate for that. That being said, you know, and I think that's what they obviously why they do it under CT. You can still hit a vessel. The needle track itself can cause some bleeding if it's a small lesion that's kind of buried further into the lung parenchyma you know that's a bigger concern and so I think so okay your paper states that there's limited data regarding the incidence of complications arising from the CT guided percutaneous lung biopsies mm-hmm. you know what other complications do we need to be aware of and in this case specifically you know what do we think was the cause of the bleeding in this particular patient? Sure. So his granulomatous disease alone was predisposed him to a higher likelihood of bleeding 
so the granuloma itself can bleed easily. For this patient, also just a long needle track. A long needle track can cause issues for smaller lesions if they have to, you know, obviously bury the needle deeper into the lung parenchyma. There's a higher risk of bleeding along that needle track. But, you know, complications, pneumothorax, hemorrhage, pleural effusion, air embolism, and empyema even, but pneumothorax and hemorrhage are pretty much the most common things that you would worry about in this sort of case. Okay. Did the patient that you took care of in this instance present with any other risk factors that you can think of that would increase this risk of complication? You know, ASA status, I think you mentioned fungal infections, which, you know, we obviously know. Mm-hmm. He was on room air, so no compromised pulmonary function, I don't suppose. So he had had surgical history of lobectomies in the past. Okay. So he did have a compromised pulmonary function. I believe, if I remember correctly, it was his. So this patient's surgical history included a right upper and partial right middle lung lobectomy. So he did have compromised pulmonary function. That being said, his labs, you know, his coags were normal the day of the procedure. Like I think I had mentioned before, if not, he was slightly anemic with a hemoglobin of 7.9 coming to, you know, the CT scanner, but we didn't appreciate the risk Mm -hmm. associated with this. Yeah. I mean, was he, did you even have a type and cross on him? I mean, was this something you... He was type and we had a type, he had an active type and screen, but we didn't have blood cross-matched ready Mm -hmm. to go. And Another issue with that, again, our blood bank is not close to where the CT scanner is. So, you know, obtaining any kind of products would take a lot more time and manpower, honestly, just to get the products to the room. But yeah, this was definitely a learning experience, I think, Uh, for everybody involved. Unexpected event, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I assume there probably wasn't even a discussion with the interventionalist either about, you know, what if this guy has a complication such as this. Definitely. And I think it posed, you know, sometimes we do these safety measures and all the timeouts and different things like that before a procedure commences. But honestly, something like this is worth discussing, you know, prior to the procedure, what's our bleeding risk here. Admittedly, I think the interventionalist was surprised by this outcome as well. But especially in these off-site settings where there's limited access to resources, I think being more prepared is better. You know, I've joked about I would so much rather be radiated in the cath lab than IR any day. But honestly, after this experience, it's because our cath lab is adjacent to the main OR, whereas, you know, the IR is just so much farther away. Absolutely. So there's something to be said about having access to help in these off-site procedures. And I was telling Jamie, I used to work with an anesthesiologist who would joke that off-site anesthesia is called safari anesthesia. It's like hmm. she would advocate safe anesthesia for remote institutions, I believe is what <laughs> she said. But sometimes it really does feel like, you know, you're kind of on an island with some of these really sick patients who come down having these minimally invasive procedures because they can't tolerate much more than what you're about to do, you know? Right. Yeah, it's, you know, we talk about being prepared for an unanticipated event, but how can you prepare for something you don't anticipate? And sometimes 
it takes the experience to uh, be like, oh, well, you know what can happen with this kind of scenario where you think, you know, again, it's just a lung biopsy. Right, exactly. Where, well, not so much. Right, exactly. And I think you've covered, you know, the biggest takeaway about being off-site. Is there anything else either would you like to add? No, sometimes you just don't know what you are going to need until you mm-hmm. need it. Exactly. So you really sometimes cannot anticipate what those things are. Yeah, mm-hmm. I guess that's why these these types of case reports are super important. You know, people come across things that aren't necessarily written in black and white in the textbook. Oh yeah, by the way, you might be doing a CT guided lung biopsy and have mm-hmm. to deal with pulmonary hemorrhage. Mm-hmm. So that's just it. It's especially in the pediatric world, I think that, you know, I think as we went through school, we had Jaffe and, you know, we could re- access these texts on adult procedures. But I find, I found that in the pediatric world, some of the things we do are You're a little bit more unique. Book. Yeah. And, you know, granted, maybe we could have found something like this, but it's not its not a procedure that we commonly do, to mm-hmm. be honest. You know, it's not something that we see. It's not something I saw training in school. Uncommon yeah. procedures, uncommon consequences. Right. Well, things can happen throughout your career that, you know, make you a better yeah. CRNA or anesthesia provider, and you learn from that, and then you hope that other people will also take your lesson mm-hmm. and and listen to what you have to say so they can also use it. And maybe they could be better prepared than you were before. Just mm-hmm. remember that, oh, I remember so-and-so had this experience. This could happen. I didn't think of that before. Yeah. yeah. I think, too, we have a culture of, there's a culture of, like, you should have known better going into it. And mm-hmm. I think having a a culture where, like you said, Jamie, we share experiences and there's not as much shaming, you know, and more of I'm going to share my experience so that you learn from it and I want you to be better better prepared and just one where we can ask each other questions and not kind of expect that we knew everything the day we graduated, you know, sort of deal. So, yeah, I'm always happy to to talk to people about my learning experiences for sure. <laughs> Yeah, you know, experience that's a, is so valuable. That's, yeah. that's a whole topic in itself, right? Mm-hmm. Experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you for yeah. being here and taking thank time you. out of your day, your weekend at that. Yeah, thank you so much. You're welcome. My pleasure. All right. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to another Dream Team podcast by Elite Anesthesia Education. Please go to our website at EliteAnesthesiaEducation.com and follow the steps to get your continuing education credit. Contact us if you would like to share an interesting case report or have an educational topic suggestion. We hope you will join us again soon.